Chapter 23, Tornado and Cloudburst. The weather was what Fred Altland called spotty during the winter and spring of 1908-09. Where we lived and through the mountains right west of us, up toward Evergreen and the Bear Creek watershed, there was only a little snow all winter. But just south of there, along the headwaters of the Platte River, the snowfall was heavy. That was why Bear Creek ran low all summer, while the Platte and Turkey Creek ran full. In March, we had a tornado. It came on a warm Sunday afternoon when Father and I were down by the creek. It looked like a big black balloon with its tail tied to the top of Mount Morrison. Father saw it first and called, Tornado! Then he started running back toward the house. I ran after him as fast as I could go, but his legs were so much longer than mine that he beat me by five rods. That was the first time I noticed how much better he had got during the winter. He didn't even cough with all that running. As he went past the house, he called, Tornado! to Mother, and kept right on to the barn. We turned all the stock loose and drove it out through the gate, past our barbed wire fence. Then we propped poles against the house, tipped over the hay rack and wagons, and ran for the cellar. The first hard blast of wind hit us just as we got to the door, but in five minutes, it was all over. When we came out, Father showed me where the twister had veered off to the north and cut a regular road up over Larson's Hill, two miles straight across Bear Creek Valley from our place. The second Saturday after that, Mother sent me to take a dress pattern over to Mrs. Larson. I rode Fanny and went around by the West Denver Road and through the Ford. I should have come right home, but we didn't have much work to do that day, so I went to look along the tornado path. Father had told me some of the curious things twisters could do, like driving a wheat straw through a fence post without breaking it. While I was poking around, I heard a sound like thunder from way off toward the mountains. I looked up, and there was another big black cloud half hidden behind Mount Morrison. As I watched it, it lifted a little, seemed to draw itself into a tighter ball, and grew a lot blacker. I was sure it must have a tail on it, and that I could have seen it if the mountain hadn't been in the way. At first I thought about going back to Larson's storm cellar, but I was afraid nobody at home had seen the storm coming, and that it might strike them before they could turn the stock loose and get to the cellar. I flung myself fat on Fanny's neck, slapped her with the line ends, and raced straight for the hillside, going down to the creek. There was no time for going around by the ford, and I knew right where to hit the old cattle bridge in Cooley Lundy's pasture below our house. The hillside was rough pasture land, covered with sagebrush, Spanish dagger, and cactus, and the rain had washed little gullies all through it. I knew better than to race Fanny down over it, but when I came in sight of the creek, I noticed that it had risen nearly to the top of its banks. Then I realized there was a cloudburst coming instead of a tornado, and that the water might be over the bridge before we could get there. Fanny never did like to run downhill, but that day she seemed to know we were racing against the storm and streaked down across the pasture, dodging sagebrush, leaping gullies, and sliding through shale rock. I had to clamp my knees tight and lie close to her neck 
to keep from being thrown. When we hit the edge of the valley floor, Fanny took Lundy's irrigation ditch in a clean low jump and tore out across the alfalfa field toward the cattle bridge. I don't think I reined her at all. She knew what I wanted to do as well as I did. Thunder seemed to be crashing all around us. I glanced up toward the mountains, but I couldn't see them. The black cloud was lying right against the ground, and between claps of thunder, I could hear a roaring up the valley. The creek was about half a mile from our house, and at that point it clung tight against the foot of a steep brush-covered hill. A narrow trail led down to the old cattle bridge. As we raced toward it, I could see that the water was clear up to the bridge girders and that part of the bank had washed away, so there was a gap of two or three feet between us and the planking. I was afraid Fanny might not see it and brought the line in down sharp against her rump to lift her over. While my arm was still in the air, the rain and wind hit us like the cracker of a bullwhip. Fanny jumped and sailed across the open strip of mad swirling water. It was a long high leap that carried us nearly to the middle of the span. Her nigh forehoof thudded down against a half rotten plank and crashed through. I didn't see her fall. I only saw her head go down, and then I was thrown toward the bank like a kitten flung by a dog. I missed the bridge, and my arm ripped against the end of the planking as I fell headfirst into the muddy, rushing water. I couldn't swim, but I don't think it would have made a bit of a difference. When my head came up, I was five or six feet from the bank. I just caught a glimpse of it as I tried to suck in a mouthful of air, but I got mostly water and the current rolled me over and took me under again. This time I scraped against a bush, grabbing hold and hung on. I was lucky because its roots were in the side of the bank and it swung me around like a picket rope. When my head came up again, I was under a big sage bush that leaned out over the water. I was choking so bad it made my arms weak and I could hardly pull myself up out of the creek. I should have thought about Fanny the first thing, but the choking made me sick at my stomach, and for a minute or two, I couldn't think at all. Then she squealed. I never knew a sound could hurt like Fanny's squeal. I felt something had hold of me and was tearing me in two. When I, hiled, when I hauled myself up through the sagebrush, I could see her muzzle and part of one twisted foreleg sticking above the water that was flowing over the bridge. I guess I lost my head when I saw it. The current had washed me about 60 feet down the creek, so I scrambled along the bank to the bridge trail and ran toward Fanny. I didn't even stop to think that the water might have carried the planks away, but splashed out onto the bridge. Her leg was broken over sideways just below the knee, and her hoof was caught in the hole it had made. She was straining to hold her head above the water, and her eyes looked up at me as if she were begging me to help her. I don't think I ever planned what I did. I guess I just did it because I loved her. I jumped onto her head and clamped my legs around it. Her muzzle slipped over the end of the planks when I landed, and she struggled once or twice then my head went under too. I only knew the water was turning me over and over. 
A couple of times my mouth came to the top, and I tried to gasp in some air. Then Father's face was right above mine, and his hands were pumping up and down on my back. I was lying with my head downhill, and my face was turned to the side so I could see Father's. It was as gray as ashes. I, could, I couldn't seem to make my body wake up when my head did, and Father's voice sounded a long way off. He kept asking me if I was all right. I was, except that my, except that my lungs hurt, but I couldn't say so till after he'd taken me up. He was soaking wet and muddy from the creek, but he opened his shirt and held my chest close against him. As he climbed the trail, I looked back toward where the bridge had been. The water had risen another foot or two, and Fanny's neck and withers showed above it. The rawhide thong two-dog had braided into her mane, floated up and down on the current as though it were waving goodbye to me. I didn't think, I think that was what made me cry. I tried to tell father what had happened, but he had seen the last of it himself. From our house, he had seen me start down across Larson's Hill as the storm was gathering and had run for the creek to warn me back before it rose. Mother made me stay in bed two or three days till she was sure my lungs were all right and that my cuts weren't going to get infected. I had a couple of cracked ribs and a little fever, and Father brought Dr. Stone out, but he just gave me some pills and strapped me up. Then he told Mother again that I'd never get killed in an accident. By the time I got up, Father had buried Fanny. I rode Lady down there so I could see her grave, but I was glad I didn't see Fanny.